Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, what's going on today? Not so much, Steve. We are, um, we are recording this the morning after Tom Brady, now of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just beat Aaron Rodgers to go to the Super Bowl. And uh, neither of us are diehard football fans, but we are diehard into sustainable success, performance, and all that. And um, we found it really fascinating that a 43-year-old guy, someone older than Steve and I, both of whom would last about one down in the NFL without needing a trip to like an inpatient orthopedic hospital, is going back to the Super Bowl. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, this is going to be our uh, sports Monday morning quarterback show. We're just going to question everything that happened. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're, we're not experts on that. We know not to dive into the football X's and O's here. But it is a fascinating story because uh, on the NFC, it's not just Tom Brady. I mean, last week you had Drew Brees, who I believe is 41, 42. Uh, you had Brady versus Rodgers, who Rodgers is 37 in the NFL MVP um this year and it's 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 remarkable and then on the flip side on the other side of the equation i think um in the afc championship you had patrick mahomes who was 25 um and josh allen who's 24 so the super bowl now is a 20 25 year old versus a 43 year old which is fascinating but you know it's interesting on the nfc side seeing these athletes who are kind of defying our norms and expectations on aging in a sport that is very, very tough on your body. And it, and I think it's important to point out as context for the conversation, these are quarterbacks. So they're not running backs, wide receivers, linebackers. So they are in a position where down to down, play to play, you are a little bit more protected from collision. And yet, you are also in a position where maybe save like a receiver going over the middle, you are subject to the biggest occasional collisions. So we're not talking chess champions here. We're talking football champions. It's really, um, as Steve said, it's it's extraordinary. And um, I think that... So we're going to talk about performance and aging today. And for those of you that aren't diehard football fans, as I mentioned, we're not either. This isn't going to be a, a football conversation. It's not even going to be really a sports conversation. It's going to be a conversation about different frameworks for performance over time. Um, but before we get into that, we've gotten some feedback that people love our tangents, which is interesting because we always feel bad when we do them. So quick tangent, an insight into how Steve and I plan these podcasts. So last night I text Steve and I'm like, Steve, we need to do, we need to throw up an episode on Tom Brady and we can talk about aging. It's really remarkable. And Steve responds, Oh, it's probably steroids. And I am like so down to hear that because I'm like, Oh, just give me a carrot. Give me a really good story about aging. And, and Steve pointed out rightfully that Tom Brady's longtime training partner is Julian Edelman, who was the Super Bowl MVP, what, two years ago? And everyone's talking about how he had this long career and he did it when he's like 36. And then it turns out he tests positive for all these steroids. They both had the same trainer. 
So we don't know what Tom Brady's doing. We know his performance on the football field is remarkable. And I think it's important to also have that full context, too, for this conversation. Yeah, I call that my um, skepticism, my been in elite level sports too long skepticism. Um, But in all serious, we're not accusing anybody or anything like that. But I think it's important and unfortunate when you when you see elite level performance well outside of the norm. It's just the sad uh, part of today's kind of current narrative in society that that has to come up. And, yeah. um, and I think the reason I'm doing it, you know, I joke about our tangents is it's important because something that we have both seen far too often in both athletics, but also in the corporate world is people using performance enhancing substances that become these icons and role models. So everybody tries to achieve their level of performance, but they don't know that that person is using performance-enhancing substances, and it's one of the biggest drivers of burnout. If I were to try to write at the same level as someone that's using cocaine, I'd totally burn out. If Steve were to try to run at the same level as someone that's using EPO, he'd tear both his Achilles tendons. So it's important to paint that context because sometimes superhuman feats are actually superhuman. So we can still use these feats as milestones to discuss aging and performance, but the end result, we just have to question to protect ourselves and those that we give advice to. Did I say that right, Steve? Yeah, no, you're spot on. I mean, in the sports world, you see it all the time where um, athletes will mimic or copy training programs of other high-class athletes who (laughs) who ended up being on steroids or performance-enhancing drugs and it's just not sustainable without those uh, those extra you know perks or benefits of those other things. So it's important um, important just to have that caveat on in there, and and that you don't you know put yourself I guess in in harm's way or create unrealistic expectations for yourself um, that could you know lead to damage. Yeah. All right. So with that disclaimer out of the way. Um, We decided to use a framework for this conversation because we needed an entry point, (laughs) but we actually think it's a pretty good framework. So this is what I call the wisdom versus talent curve in what Steve calls, probably more scientifically, the fluid versus crystallized intelligence or skill curves. So Steve, why don't you give listeners a brief overview of what we mean by these two curves and why they are so important to how we think about performance as we age. Sure. So I'll give the science and then you can give the uh, the practical here. The fluid, it's basically this, is what research has found in psychology is that we can separate intelligence into kind of two different parameters that increase and grow, right? We have fluent intelligence, which is basic your basically your ability to reason and solve different problems that are you know unique and um and novel right and then you have crystallized intelligence which is the kind of knowledge you acquire through uh, experience and education so skills facts information etc cetera, etc cetera. and what you see happen is our fluid intelligence rises really quickly 
and then peaks in are probably around around 30 and then starts to slowly de- decline for the rest of the time. So that's where people think, oh, young people are smarter, like they've got faster brains, like everything's clicking. And that's true to a degree. But what happens is this crystallized intelligence that's based on experience rises and then keeps rising and keeps rising and keeps rising all and it can rise all the way into you know your 70s and perhaps later so it's these two overlapping curves where it's like your brain might work its fastest we'll call it in your 30s but it doesn't have the experience and knowledge behind it to work in the best manner uh, possible yet yeah so as Steve said, just speaking about this really practically, and I love a good framework that makes sense, and, uh, and I think this is one. So let's talk about a physician. A 24 or 25-year-old in medical school is going to have a much sharper brain than a 45 to 50-year-old. All kinds of science shows that to be true. And a 45 to 50-year-old is going to have a lot more experience in pattern recognition, what I call wisdom, than that 22 to 25-year-old. And in medicine, pattern recognition and wisdom is really important. So I want my surgeon to be the 45 to 50-year-old, not the 22 to 25-year-old. Even though what I call talent or just quickness of brain, the young young guy, young, young guy, young woman has an edge on that. Now, it differs based on the activity. So in the sports world, a sprinter, we're going to bet on the 22 to 25-year-old, not the 45 to 50-year-old. But in adventure racing, which is much less about just pure physical talent and much more about strategy and experience and having been in rough situations, the best adventure racers tend to be 40 to 50. Another way to um, think about it, or not another way, but another great example. So rock climbing. People tend to peak when they're older. Why? Because rock climbing is every bit as much about problem solving as it is about talent. Young climbers have all this talent and skill, and they're stronger, and they tend to be lighter on their feet. And they can even think more quickly. Again, our brains tend to be their quickest, like 20 to 30 but they don't have the pattern recognition. So they tend to fail at a much greater level of those that are older. And then on the far end, you look at something like poetry. that is all about wisdom. And so many poets write their best work when they're 60 to 80. I think Mary Oliver is a phenomenal example about this. Her poetry just got... I mean, she's always been like the goat of poetry in my mind, or at least one of the goats. But her poetry got so much better as she aged. Because poetry is not a thing that demands like cleverness and quickness, it is something that demands distillation and wisdom. So for any given pursuit, I think you can kind of map out how important is what I call raw talent or what Steve calls fluid intelligence or fluid talent versus what I call wisdom and what Steve calls crystallized intelligence. Um, yeah, sorry. I hope I explained that okay. And sorry for the background noise. Ananda's barking there. So I paused to try to will him to be quiet. I don't know if that works from a different floor. <laughs> so two two different things here that I think are important is we open this with Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. And what you're what you're seeing there is 
their quarterbacks, as you mentioned, which, you know, their arm strength might be not as good as in their early 20s. Their speed and quickness might not be as good. Even their their brain's ability to recognize and quickly process different things might not be as sharp. But what you have is this crystallized intelligence in that their brain might not fire as quick in the simple, but their recognition of the patterns is probably, you know, 10x what they were when they first came into the NFL, right? So they're able to compensate for these decreasing, we'll, we'll call it physical abilities with this uh, crystallized intelligence. And um, the other part on this is I think it's important here is that we all have different different methods or different ways to get to a performance. So it's not like, you know, I'll use running examples. It's not like all two, 205, 210 marathoners get to that performance in the same way, right? They all have different abilities and talents to get to that. There's a whole slew of different combinations of physical gifts that can get you to that performance level. Well, it's the same when we we branch out to these other um, areas outside of sports and into more intellectual pursuits. And I think one of the great examples of this is actually at the extremes where we see prodigies versus late bloomers, right? Prodigies tend to be dependent or have extreme talent levels or extreme uh, fluid intelligence, right? So they're able to pick things up really quickly on things. Late bloomers, the people who, you know, might not reach their peak until 40, 50, 60, whatever have you in their endeavor. Um, a lot of times they have, you know, good talent, but it doesn't blossom until they've achieved enough of this crystallized intelligence so that their talent can kind of bloom. So it's interesting that even on this, like, you know, um, oh, we have these two things. There's individual variation on getting to that performance level. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So it's like, oh, man, now I said simple frameworks, a little bit more complicated. So there's three overlapping curves. There's the pursuit and what it demands. There's the age of the person and where they're at on these curves. And then there's the individual themselves. Is that what you're alluding to with this kind of prodigy, prod, ah, prodigy versus late bloomer? Because I think what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is even though we made these generalities like the brain is sharpest between 22 and 25, or maybe the body is best fit for the pursuit between 18 and 26, that's still a bell curve. And there are, there are outliers that are two standard deviations off. And you could say the same thing with wisdom. You could get a 24-year-old like uh, Rainer Maria Rilke, who's writing like game-changing poetry as a young man, or you could get someone that's a knucklehead, and then they hit 60, and suddenly they've got all this wisdom. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, th- I think as we kind of say, oh, it's, it's getting a little complex, to me, it gives hope, right? Because because a lot of times we lock ourselves into these ideas. I know as an athlete, I certainly do, did. You're, you sit there and you're like, oh, man, these are my peak years. Or, you know, on average, the best performance happens at this point. Or even even as we get into our, our careers, right? You say, oh, I've, I better be at X level when I'm 35 and at this when I'm 40 and accomplish this by 45. And, and I think what these different variations and um, 
different examples do is give us hope in the sense that we walk around thinking that there's one kind of linear path, one average path towards progress. Mm-hmm. And that's simply not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it gives you, I think, hope and also like permission to, and maybe it's one and the same, to be patient with yourself, especially. Well, okay, I'm going to really build on this. So, permission to be patient with yourself, I was going to say, especially if you are in a pursuit that generally rewards what I call wisdom or experience and pattern recognition later on. So the example that I give here, it's a big thing that I talk about in my book that comes out later this year, is this misconception that creativity in business and founders need to be young. So Silicon Valley, right? Move fast and break things. We want 18 to 23-year-old founders, yada, yada, yada. Well, a meta-analysis of thousands of companies showed that the age when founders have the most success is actually 45. Why? Because they've failed a bunch of times. They've gained wisdom from those failures. And therefore, they can, um, they can just do a better job when they're older. So there, it gives hope. So if you're a young person that like tried to launch a business and failed, well, you're on the path to success based on evidence. And I think it also gives hope for the athletes that listen to this podcast, whether you're an armchair athlete like me and now Steve, or whether you're an elite athlete like some of our good friends that are in the Olympics. You can shift your... I don't want to say your sport, but your event as those curves change. So the example that comes to mind for me is someone going up in distance. So you see this all the time in triathlon. So young triathletes, they tend to really excel in sprint and Olympic distance races. Shorter races, less problems come up and it's more just pure talent. Then older athletes tend to excel in iron distance races. Why? Because there are so many more problems to solve. You get a flat tire. Um, you lose the pack on the bike. You lose the pack on the swim. Something goes wrong with your hydration. You drop a water bottle. Right? These are all things that if it happens to a 22-year-old, I don't care how fast he or she is. If you haven't been there, you're probably going to mess up. Whereas the longer the race, the more wisdom matters. So even in pursuits that we tend to think of as really rewarding pure talent or young people, there tends to be a way to downshift and to stay in that same pursuit where it rewards more wisdom. I'm sure you see this in athletes, Steve, going up in longer distances um, in running. I mean, one more, one more example. I've got a really good friend that was a pro triathlete for a long time. And she definitely followed this curve of short races, Olympic distance races, Ironman. And now in her retirement from pro triathlon, she's going to start doing ultra endurance races. Because again, like it's just it's a different set of curves. It rewards wisdom more. So she'll probably be a better ultra endurance racer between 40 and 50 than she would have been between 20 and 30. Yeah, I mean, you see that a lot in the marathon, especially on on the distance running side. Um, a lot of that because the marathon de- demands like having this um, balancing this, you know, confidence, aggressiveness with patience and and riding that line of running as fast as you can without running out of fuel, essentially, which is a tough line to to uh, you know 
ride. So a lot of times what you see is young athletes are really aggressive on it. And if they, they, you know, find it, they hit it out of the park. But the older athletes are often the ones who consistently marathon after marathon show up every time. And because of that, like they have a better chance of um, placing high at an Olympics or world championships or what have you, because, you know, they've got the experience to know what their body is capable of and to max that out. Because I think it's important here when we're talking about endurance events, especially is uh, half, you know, you never reach your maximum performance. Um, but I'd like to think with experience, you figure out how to inch closer to that because you're, you're more dialed in and willing to listen to your body because you've been doing it for 20 years or whatever have you. Yeah. So, and an- another place to take this, Steve, because I, um, man, I get. I get so excited when I feel like we're on to something. And um, just as an aside, listeners, thank you for joining us. Because for me, this podcast is just a treat. Because like Steve and I just talk through things and we hit record. And I get like this like intellectual energy from these conversations. So if you could see me right now, I'm smiling and like I just got to chill down my spine. So that's a lot of preface. I just set a very high bar for this insight that came out right now is Steve. I think that this also happens... I don't even have the words for it, within a pursuit, but different ways of doing it. So the example that comes to mind for me is the transition from athlete to coach or from executive to mentor. So you can be super into weightlifting and you can go up and, and I don't know what the analogy is for weightlifting. It's probably fewer reps, more strength. You compete as a master's, whatever. And then you hit 60. And it doesn't matter how much wisdom you have, your your time to perform very well under the bar is over. Well, what do a lot of 60-year-old weightlifters do? They start coaching. They open up gyms. Same thing as an executive. So many executives retire, and then they take on um, formal mentorship roles, or they become professors. So it really is also so helpful to think about success, mastery, pursuing something in life as... Um, fluid itself, right? Like you can, even if you really care about one craft or one area, you can shift in that area as you age. Yeah. I mean, it's, it comes back to, you know, understanding the balance between this talent and wisdom and then shifting your, um, we'll call it event, um, as, as that balance shifts, you know, I think of it in, in the workplace and a lot of times there's this move to, almost once you hit into your 50s or 60s is kind of push you out the door in some corporate spaces. Well, instead of, you know, pushing these people out the door for the younger, fresher talent, you got to think, okay, maybe maybe their job as, you know, whatever it is that required more fluid intelligence isn't the best spot, but we've got this accumulated wisdom that we can take advantage of that is something that no 20, 30, whatever year old is going to have. Like, what spot do we find that takes advantage of this? In the sports world, a lot of times that's coaching, right? But in the executive world, in the corporate world, you know, you mentioned some become mentors, some become professors. But I feel like there's there should be almost a corporate job role created so, in more companies so that they can take advantage of this. Like phenomenon. chief wisdom officer. Right. And the chief wisdom officer, oh my gosh, this be so valuable. Like her job is simply to be like, be patient. Like this feels like it's really tough, but it'll pass. 
or to be like, nope, like this is really a problem. Um, because someone that's been there for 40, 50 years can pick up on those patterns. Right. You've got, and you've got a little deeper perspective, um, able to zoom out, I'd say, based on, on life experience, age, and just the fact that the older we get, the kind of better we're able to, to manage, um, some of these emotions and feelings that kind of drag us down into be, becoming too narrow. Yeah, it's almost like, and, and I hope I don't get accused of being ageist for saying this, but it's like I want my surgeon to probably be between 40 and 50. I want my surgeon's coach or mentor, chief of the department, to be between 50 and 70. And I want the attending doing research for the surgeon to be between 25 and 40. Yeah, I mean that's right. And there's nothing I mean, wrong that, with that. Like like yeah. that in in all of those people have really important roles. Right. I mean it's it's again understanding your your skill set and and how that shifts and changes. Um so coming back think, to football, Steve, real quick. I mean we mentioned this earlier and again we promise not to dive into football since we don't know that much about football, but you think that it's not an accident that these these guys are quarterbacks, right? It's not just because quarterbacks might be protected from injury. It's because if there's a position on the field that rewards pattern recognition and wisdom, it's quarterback. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that. Pattern recognition, like processing all this stuff, and then also having, you know, something that we talk about in peak performance, which is... Um, essentially having this embodied cognition of your environment and having that be so atom- automatic, you can figure things out. So that's, I mean, that's the reason Tom Brady, his, even Drew Brees is a great example. If you look at Drew Brees, his arm strength is clearly diminished from his peak years. You know, Tom Brady is clearly diminished from his peak years. You can tell by the deep balls that they throw, but they compensate and make up for it because like, they can find those openings. They can anticipate which receiver is going to, you know, get past his man and get open better than they could when they were, you know, 22, 23, 24, 25 entering, entering the league because quarterback is, you know, it's, it's interesting. And it's funny, like out of the, out of the draft, um, out of the NFL draft, when college players are selected, we hear a lot about the physical attributes, Right arm strength the hand width the size it's the, the combine like dash. for those that don't know football they go through a combine that is all physical as far as i know right and there's like one random intelligence test in there but what quarterback is is it's 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 prediction right you're anticipating and predicting before it happens if this if one receiver one two three or four is going to get open you can't wait until they are exactly open. You have to anticipate and predict. So it's an intelligence game. And then having having this enough skills to get the ball in that spot at that time. So I think it's, you know, it's no coincidence that these guys are, are still doing well um, later into their career. And I think when you watch someone like Patrick Mahomes on the Chiefs, and they won, right, Steve? Again, this is now I'm outing myself at how little I actually follow football. Yeah, so he is phenomenal, um, and I think so many people think that he's like the next greatest thing to happen in sports because he is someone that is young, supremely athletic, and 
has this intuitive sense for pattern recognition reading the field. Like I've heard about Mahomes is that he plays with his body like a 20 to 25 year old, but the way that he reads the field is reminiscent of like a 40 year old. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I've, again, no expert here, but that's what I've heard as well. So you would expect, you know, um, you would expect that hopefully as he ages and grows, like that ability to read the field just gets better and better. And, yeah. um, and, and not even read the field. Cause I, I mean, I, I I'm gonna, um, I don't want to like be over protecting myself. I follow football a little. So last year when Mahomes won the Super Bowl. I think they won like 17-13 or 17-10. It was a very low-scoring game. It was a slog. And Mahomes was quite ineffective for most of the game. It was just a defensive battle, um, kind of like a boring football game. And he hung the F in there. And at the end of the game, he took his team down the field and he won the game. And I remember watching some of the post-game talking heads and so many people were talking about how like, you know, it wasn't that special of a game for him. And this one commentator is like, what are you talking about? This was the masterpiece of Mahone's career. And then he went on to explain that the kid couldn't find any rhythm for three and a half quarters, kept his head in the game, took the team down the field and won a Super Bowl when it mattered. And to me, that's like another like, oh man, this kid's got like what I would call wisdom. Yeah, just since I guess I'm the one who watches slightly more football. Um, it was slightly higher uh, scoring game than that, but I think Mahomes scored like 21 points in the fourth quarter. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> so, so thanks, for, yeah. thanks for the fact check, but the theme was there, I hope. Yeah, the theme was there. Through three quarters, it was, it was a low-scoring struggle grind, and then just you know flip the switch finally figured it out uh which is something that is interesting and that's it, you know i think we could go a d- number of different avenues but it's also um part of growing with experience and that's why it's really impressive that he did this so young is that like putting bad performances behind you like missing your shots missing several shots in a row if we're using the basketball analogy and still like lining up and thinking you're going to hit the game winning shot is a skill that comes with time, right? When you're young, a lot of times what happens is you kind of let it spiral, ruminate, whatever happens and a bad game just becomes a bad game. So it's, it's interesting seeing the skill um, so early. Yeah. Or the wisdom again, like, you know, just not to confuse, I get what you're saying. So yours is like crystallized skill. I call it wisdom, but to me it's wisdom because you're like, Oh, Things have gone really poorly for three quarters, but I know that things can turn around. And it's that knowing that generally comes later with age. And and again, that's why someone like Mahomes is so special because he has that mix of of innate talent and skill that's so fresh when you're young, but also wisdom. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I know we're going down the football rabbit hole here, but I, I, I think it's interesting, again, showing that, like, there's a number of different ways to get to this high performance level, right? And the best of the best, whether it's Brady, Breeze, Rogers, and hopefully Mahomes, is, like, they're able to shift their game and figure out how to use their skill or their talent and their wisdom as as those two change right yeah yeah. you see some other athletes or some other quarterbacks who are extremely athletically gifted and maybe do well for the first several years but then fall off you know the cliff when they hit 
30 in yep. terms of performance because they they can't they can't make up that gap while their maybe physical gifts um dissipate or decline yeah michael vick comes to mind yep is an yep. example of that or like a dante culpepper um yep and these are guys like we're not knocking them they might be full with wisdom i think what often happens is you just resist change because you're like oh this is what's always worked for me so it's still going to work for me and then you get into problems and you see that in companies too um like not just with leaders but with entire companies so you see this in 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 startups all the time this is this is common in every single startup i've ever worked with um and that is that when they are small they're super nimble and to me on the curve they map onto like really high and innate talent you tend to have between 3 and 100 super smart people um, you don't need a lot of process because everyone's kind of doing everything and you can move really, really fast and you get the job done. And then the company grows to be 100 to 200 or 200 to 400 or 400 to 800. And if you don't change how you operate, you get screwed. Because as the company gets bigger, the skill set demanded... I shouldn't even say the skill set like because I guess the company-wide skill set or the processes demanded change. Um, so I think that this kind of shifting between skill and wisdom can be applied to entire organizations as well. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And I you know, as we think as we wrap our head around these these kinds of ideas, what it tells me is like develop the self-awareness to figure out where you kind of are, right? Cuz like you, you, you the the key here is the ability to adjust, right? It's it's easy, especially, and that's where I think, you know, someone like Brady or Rogers or Breeze or whoever, it's impressive in the sense that, like, these guys were, you know, even if they quit playing at 34, 35, like, they're still Hall of Famers, you know? But these guys had the ability and the wisdom and the awareness to say, hey, if I'm going to stick around longer in, in this game, like, my game has to change a little bit. Like, how do I adapt to, you know, my changing skill set and the changing game around me as well, which is, you know, pretty impressive because, again, these guys were the best in the world at what they did. It's very easy to sit there and be like, no, I'm the best. I've been doing this for long enough. Like, listen to me. We're doing it this way. I'm not adjusting. Yeah. I saw this talking had a guy named Max Kellerman, um, who's like a sports analyst, had tweeted that... Tom Brady has had a Hall of Fame career since the day that Max Kellerman said, oh, his arm strength's going to crap. He's falling off a cliff. (laughs) So Kellerman's looking at talent and saying like, oh, there goes talent. He's falling off a cliff. And he didn't think like, wow, can he make up for it in wisdom? And clearly Tom Brady has. That's a rare case of a talking head um, actually, you know, coming back and acknowledging reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's really good. Um, props to Max Kellerman for doing that. So, all right. This is a good conversation. I don't want to belabor it. Do you think that we're at a wrap-up point? I mean, I think what we really wanted to give listeners was um, these these two curves and a different way of thinking about career growth, success in life, staying on a path. Um, and also figuring out kind of where you lie on those curves for a given pursuit. And then as Steve pointed out, trying to find the right job or the right way in that matches where you are. So if you're a 
41-year-old that wants to be really competitive as an endurance athlete, probably not best to run the mile. Probably should think about the marathon or even ultra marathons. If you're an 18-year-old that wants to be world-class at sport, yeah, shorter distances. Why? Because shorter distances tend to reward a younger body. Longer distances tend to reward wisdom. And, and that is just the running analogy. That applies to everything from starting a company to working in a law firm to creating art um, to being a poet, you name it. Yeah, I think that's that's some great takeaways. And um, yeah, I don't know, Brad. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that listeners did too. Um, as always, we appreciate feedback. What we're trying to do here is kind of take a topic do some research, and then just have a conversation and, and think on our feet a little bit. And I'm pleased where where we ended up, which is places that I didn't expect going into this conversation. And apologies about Ananda barking in the background. We are recording off of our usual schedule. Um, but as we said, we were just texting um, during the football game and after the football game. And I was wowed. Steve was skeptical. And we said you know what, let's talk about aging and performance because clearly we could have been texting all night and we decided to have the conversation here with our microphones and um, my barking dog in the background. That sums up our uh, partnership. I'm skeptical. You're excited. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, all right, everyone. Um, appreciate you all. Uh, downloads are going up, which is great. We don't know where it's coming from, but if you are referring people to the podcast, thank you. If you like the show, please leave a review. Give us a good rating. That stuff feeds the Apple algorithm what it wants to see, and therefore it recommends our podcast. Um, and as Steve mentioned, we also want to hear the feedback that's not so great. Ideally, we'd prefer that in email to us than for everyone to see, um, but whatever floats your boat. So we appreciate you all taking the time to listen and making it this far. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.